0: Well, good morning, welcome to Eastlake Online. It is 10 o'clock on Sunday morning and we are broadcasting this live from the Uptown Theater that is mostly empty. And uh, thanks for watching this wherever you are and uh, with your family or yourself or listening in the car on the way uh, to uh, work or you're not going to work, what am I talking about? Uh, wherever you're going to a restaurant somewhere that's open that's not in the Tri-Cities, um, kudos to you uh, for making that thing happen. Today we start a brand new teaching series. It's gonna be four parts. It's gonna be called Pirate Radio and I'm super psyched about it. Possibly because of the material. I mean, that's part of it, but partly because my thoughts are over the next, this four-part series is going to last for the entire month of June. At some point during this teaching series, uh, Live Sports is going to be back on television, and I'm so pumped for that. At, le- at least some of them, like maybe not all of them, but some of them, and then perhaps maybe even we can go out to eat at Texas Roadhouse. Not all together, but uh, you know, maybe me and uh, just me, maybe, I don't know, who, who knows, but um, super pumped about that. Um, so talking about Pi Radio today, and it's a uh, brief... Form or in its most base form, uh, pirate radio is any broadcast that operates without a license uh, it 's been used strategically in the past and uh, you know at, at some point in, 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 the, in the, uh, currently or whatever um, to broadcast uh, from a propaganda standpoint the u s um, during sort of the Iron Curtain Cold War era would uh, stage ships in the Mediterranean and broadcast um, american Western news into Russia and um, the Soviet Union. Uh, um, during times when they would not have otherwise have had access uh, to that sort of thing. But the version that I'm using is sort of a kickoff to the series is about the version that was highlighted in the movie by the same name, Pirate Radio, in 2009. Perhaps you have watched it, and if you haven't, I've just made your plans for the evening. Congratulations. Um, you're you're uh, in luck in that way. But in 1964, uh, boats like Radio Caroline was probably the most popular version of it, anchored offshore... Um, broadcasting over radio FM waves that were beamed directly to the mainland. And in these cases where the boats were anchored, it was where, and where the signal was transmitted, it was legal. Um, however, where it was received and interpreted, those were illegal. They were trying to control. I mean, there's like limited bandwidth in how this thing, you know, how many waves, airwaves there can be. And so they were trying to control these for a certain market or whatever, um, it was kind of a legal gray area in terms of a boat being docked offshore to project these onshore. And it caused some controversy in that way. Commercial radio wasn't yet an option. And the guardians of the publicly owned BBC had a, uh, had a vested interest in which ones, which radio stations could play and what they could play. And they considered pop music in general to be immoral, antisocial and unfit for public broadcast. This was in the sixties, by the way. So some of the heights of Beatles, Stones, the who, all of those in that way. Regulations for what could be played during work hours are extremely limited. Uh, music styles that would generate a more focused worker. They, they would, uh, they, they had these things of during these times when people are at work, we want to play songs that people can snap their fingers to, that they can they can whistle to, that doesn't distract them from their task at hand, but would actually, uh, they had didn't studies or whatever, that would generate more work. And obviously this hip-hop or this pop or this whatever else, it does not belong in here, uh, they would, uh, isolate those to a couple hours on Sunday afternoons from four o'clock to about six o'clock. They would play the chart music for the youngsters, but the rest of the week was dedicated to other things. Um, in the same way, uh, and that might sound so odd, especially if you're like, you know, I don't know, less than 30, like you've always had access to uh, iTunes or um, you now spot, like now it's even music on demand, previously Spotify and Napster and all of that. But like our access to what we want to listen to is only governed by our ability to curate our own stuff. Um, and what is shared over the airways are or, or, or shared amongst people, right? Um, we don't like, a lot of times listen to radio, but I'm kind of old. And so here's a little personal story. Like I grew up in the Tri-Cities again, and there was a uh, a radio station called 93.3 Way FM. It was the original. I know it's K-Love now. It's like gone corporate. It was used to be a locally owned, I think it operated out of Walla Walla. And uh, K-Love would play their Christian music all week long, which was whatever. But on Saturday nights, uh, from about eight till midnight. Um, that was the, that was the witching hour. That was when they would play, they would have two DJs come on, uh, and they would play. And this was like high school years for me. So like freshman, sophomore, whatever. They, they had a show called the buzz shop where they would play, um, you know, music from bands, uh, like MXPX and bleach and my favorite goatee hook. Look it up. It's amazing. It's punk. It's whatever. And I remember like scheduling, around the buzz shop. Now it was Saturday night. So that helped make sense because I'm a pastor's kid. So I did nothing on Saturday nights. Um, that factors in, but, I would, I would listen to this station and they would play like my music for a little while. And that was a lot of times the only way that I would have access to knowing, you know, uh, like some of these new bands that are coming, I mean, friends and whatever, but, uh, for the most part, this was it, the buzz shop. And I try, I honestly, I tried to like, um, Google it the other day, uh, just to see tri cities, you know, buzz shop, whatever. And I came up with was barbershop. So there's no way to like vouch for the validity of this argument. I'm just telling you, you'll have to just trust me. Me that that's how it worked and maybe if you're watching this and you listen to the buzz shop too you should text me because we should have we could have fun interacting in that way but anyways um, no question it, w- it had and continues to have a rebellious ethos um, to it um, back when pirate radio was going or the buzz shop or whatever or whatever station that you listen to that played your type of music it was like Don't tell us what to play. We don't need the charts to tell us what to play. We know what we want to play. We'll play what we like to play. We'll do it how we want to do it. It was what you'd call at this point, specifically in the pirate radio days, an industry disruptor. Um, because at its height, uh, 25 million people would be listening to this station or um, they, they would, they, there would be 20, which is half the population of the UK listen to illegal pirate radio who wasn't really playing, paying royalties on, on what they played either. So there's like all of that going along. Um, and then they just realized that the UK leadership realized we've got a mess on our hands. Um, there are people who are uh, in our office who are like trying to figure out how to stop this, who when they get in their cars and they drive home, are listening to this, right? Um, this has become sort of an infestation in this uh, sort of way. Uh, This is now uh, them making a statement, um, doing kind of that rebellious, this is how it works now. Like, don't tell us what to do. We'll make our own way in this way. On March 28th, which was Easter Sunday in 1964, Radio Caroline was born, broadcasting without knowing who, if anybody uh, would be listening. Their first song that they played was It's All Over Now by the Rolling Stones, which had turned out to be pretty prescient and in terms of what was going to take place. The man who started it all named the boat Radio Caroline and, and the station Radio Caroline uh, because he saw a picture of Caroline Kennedy in her dad's office, in the Oval Office, JFK. Um, he, she's crawling around on his feet while he's on the phone conducting national business, saving the world. And he loved the irony of a kid doing like a playful thing in a very typically serious environment underneath the desk. And so he he likened it in that way to like, yes, the world is going to continue to do their things, but we are going to play while that's happening. A lot of upcoming bands the Stones the Beatles the Who have pirate radio in part to thank for their success at home and abroad and by 1967 just three years later Caroline was claiming enough listeners again to take up half the UK and the explosion of the popularity scared the government forcing them to draft several different options to try and shut these people down um, first the first of several didn't work until they drafted the Marine Broadcasting Offences Act claiming um, uh, above all things that these radio waves were interfering with boats who were claiming that they were singing and now, people are, are we going to really let people die as a result of you being able to listen to The Who? Um, and so they begin to shut them down in that way. After the dismantling of offshore broadcasting, the B- BBC wisely realized the need. Uh, that was generated, the obviously scratching a niche that needed to be scratched, and so once the boats were shut down, Radio One on the BBC, which still exists today, was started as a result of them, a disruption in the industry forcing them to kind of create change. They began to hire a bunch of DJs who were formerly on the ship, uh, and found themselves recently unemployed and on dry land again, but the industry was never the same. And you might be sitting there saying, cool story, Brent. Uh, the movie was better. And I agree. You should watch the movie. I told you that in the first place. Um, but I thought it was a good kickoff for this series. And um, and the reason is I think that the church uh, and the gospel message kind of operates in a similar vein and in a similar way. I had a I had a uh, Zoom conversation uh, this week with uh, Dr. Blaine Charette, and uh, we've posted it on our website and our social media. You can kind of see it's a recap from the last series, but and a part of the conversation and discussing discussing you know um, things about Matthew's text and his perspective on Sermon on the Mount and all that, that those things, I mentioned that we were going to be starting this series, and you could see... Uh, Blaine's eyes kind of light up. And I remember taking classes from him him, and talking about music and the arts and how they speak to this. And so I knew it kind of struck a chord. Uh, with him. And as soon as I said pirate radio and we were doing a series on it, he said something about, ah, yes, the voice of the church uh, amidst the noise of like culture. And, and he was on board right away. I didn't even have to sell him on the idea. And so that's, uh, that's kind of the direction that we're going to be going for the next couple of weeks. Um, and, and really ask, asking ourselves the question, um, uh, what does it mean? Why, why did they pick pirates? What, what, what is it about pirates? Um, This was just a radio station doing this in this way. Is it because they were playing unlicensed music, or is there something kind of underneath all of that that's a little bit more? What do we know about pirates? Not maybe a lot. I mean, um, my kids watch Jake and the Neverland Pirates on Disney Plus once in a while, right? He's, like, always collecting. They're, like, doing their part to help him collect gold doubloons. And then you're never sure, like... Whatever happens to these gold doubloons? Are we spending them? Are we saving them? Are you just stockpiling them? I mean, Jake, it's like Jake the Racketeer more like than Jake the Pirate. So that's happening. Um, My college years uh, included uh, several midnight showings of uh, the Pirates of the Caribbean franchise. Um, In my initial draft of this, I wrote that I had uh, gone to all three Um, showings of the Pirate Caribbean franchise until I googled it and I realized they made five of them Uh, I had no idea so I had to re-edit that and be like I did not go see all five I cannot vouch for the last two I'm pretty sure they sucked um And fun fact about this, I typically, Kylie can vouch for me, I typically write my messages to soundtracks because there's no words for me to get lost in because I'm writing my own words. Um, So I wrote this entire message in plan two for the rest of the series uh, to the tune, to the soundtrack of the Pirates of the Caribbean soundtrack, which is an underrated soundtrack, by the way. It was so good. And you'll be able to tell on the parts where I really get going, I think, um, on where like, you know, Hans Zimmer really picks it up and goes in that way. Um, I was given a book uh, a few years ago, um, about pirates and not, I mean, that's not typically like a, a book you get handed. I'm not really like a, uh, super like 17th century nonfiction sort of guy. Um, but the title was called mutiny and it said why we love pirates and how they can save us by a guy named Kester Bruin. It turned out to be one of my favorite books, um, that I think I've ever read and I'm rereading it again. I think this is like my third or fourth time through this book, um, And it's, whether it's his style of writing, he's a Christian living over in the the UK and and had done some work in the church, but then also kind of got disillusioned with that. So trying to kind of create his own thing. And and I can kind of identify with a little bit of that. And so um, his, his whole take on it, his writing style, his, his everything. I I knew I was sold at the very opening page in like the copyright, like who reads the copyright page, right? Uh, But it was so like uniquely formatted that I thought maybe I'll, read the copyright. I don't know how I got there, but I I, I ended up reading the copyright page and listen to what he says in a book on piracy about copyrights, because those, <laughs> those are two different things, right? We, we know that very well. Um, he writes this, this book has been written and produced under a fair pay for fair labor principle, private compensation followed by public benefit. Once a reasonable return has been made, it will be placed in the public domain and available for free. Until that time, play nice. This work may not be pirated without good reason, and sloth and stinginess are not good reasons. This is. I read that, I thought, this is a guy who gets it. Like, he's going to go. He has an entire chapter on the uh, horrible nature, really, of, like, the copyright industry and the fact that um, Mick Jagger can still make hundreds of thousands of dollars on music that he produced 40, 50 years ago and, like, all of that. And, and I remember this Christmas, Kylie and I were... were um, over to a friend's house and one of the slides came through and it was Paul McCartney makes $400,000 a year on royalties for one of his Christmas songs, the Simply Having a Wonderful Christmas Time. Now, don't sing it in your mind right now, but um, like $400,000 a year. And he wrote that. How many? Oh, that's crazy. That's crazy. Those are crazy numbers in the copyright industry and how that stifles kind of new growth and becomes a lid for all of this stuff. So I loved this sort of outlook immediately on, along the way of, hey, this isn't right. And I now am producing something that is going to be copyrighted. So, but let me do an interesting take on this. Now, to be fair, this book was written in 2012 and it's still for sale on Amazon. So who knows what qualifies as a reasonable return? I'll, I'll give you that. Um, but the, one of the basic essences of his thought process in this is that pirates show up in any sort of, economic system or social system or religious system, where entry into kind of the common area or the common grounds where we feel a feeling of democracy or, or an equal voice, whenever that feels blocked, when the whenever the entry feels insurmountable or impossible, no matter what I do, it's an impossible for me to succeed in this Way. And he goes on to talk about how this played out in the life of actual pirates, 17th century pirates, Blackbeard, Captain Hook, Captain, uh, all, all these different people in this history of um, how these things worked. Um, life on board merchant ships in this time, they would work for the Royal Navy. Um, they would go and they would rob from other nations. And then the, the booty or the loot or whatever that they would capture would then go back to whatever crown, whatever king, whatever um, monarchy or authoritative dictatorship was in place, um, at the time. And they, and, uh, slowly these, uh, and they would be treated horribly this, this, um, you know, to be a, the life of a merchant Marine, basically, uh, to be the life, uh, to, to engage in that sort of lifestyle was, uh, debilitating. The life expectancy was short. Um, there would be a temptation to be like, why are we doing this for people? Why are we risking so much? for uh, the benefit of uh, other people who are not, you know, a part of this, who who don't result in this. And so many of them would then eventually or have the option to go on the account is what they would call it, or to turn pirate in this way, to go and then to rob from perhaps very, you know, the very same people. And people would be like, well, how dare you pirate and steal from other people? And they're like, we, we were doing this the entire time. We just had the badge of the government on it and all of a sudden that made it okay. And so, so what's the, what's the issue with here? But for them, it was a feeling of, we know our life is going to be short, We know as soon as we do this, there's going to be a price put on our head from whatever government we rebelled from. And yet we feel like our life's going to be short anyways, if we just continue to do this. So what's the difference? So why not in this way? The Jolly Roger became the picture. This is the the flag that we even now today, having seen pirates, you know, fifteen years ago, or the Pirates of the Caribbean fifteen years ago, or just in general in culture, would recognize this immediately as a pirate, flag, a pirate flag. A skull and typically either crossbones or swords or whatever. It's been simplified over the year to show something like this, uh, but. Uh, traditionally, or in some of the earlier iterations of the Jolly Roger, uh, it would look slightly a little bit differently. It would be an entire full body skeleton representing sort of like this mortality of life, like that our core, this is who we are. There'd be a long sword, typically showing this as the way that we do life. Our life is a constant battle in this way. It would at the end of the sword would be a pierced, bleeding heart, uh, which basically symbolized we took over this ship from our brutal captain um, who uh, treated us terribly and we kind of caused our own independence in this way. And the other hand would be an hourglass representing that life is short, that we know uh, that time is ticking. There's an inevitable progress of fate, no matter what we do. Uh, And that would be this picture of kind of who we are and represents for us. Uh, Something profound and heartfelt would be in its symbolism in those ways. The skull and bones aren't just intimidation factors, not identification markers, although they would be identification markers, but it would go beyond that. Um, They would try and be sending a message of not only we are bringing you death, but also announcing, in a sense, we sort of are death. We've kind of accepted life. Um, as it is. We, the spit on, the abused, the flogged, the ones you've treated as less than human, we've escaped your power. We've slipped away from the identity that you've assigned to us many times um, uh, in the process of commandeering ships or, or, uh, becoming a part of the Royal Navy at that time, it was not really a choice that they signed up for. Or once they turned 18, it was an option. Either I go to trade school or I do this. A lot of times the Navy would be so bleak in their humanity that the leadership would just go in and force, this would be a forced entry into this sort of occupation. So some of these people would be like, we we didn't even want to do this. And now we're here and we know that life is, life is fragile and this is a terrible way to spend our life. And, and there's, we're robbing to give to the rich. And, and what, what does this even look like for us? So we don't wanna do this. we the ones who you took for dead, You've treated us as, we, as if we are dead, this animosity towards pirate life. Our returning as the dead and thus free of all fear, free of all human labels or classifications or ranks. We raise the flag not out of violence for fear as much as a declaration that no more violence could be done to us. For we are already dead. One author I read wrote about the pirate spirit. Um, He wrote a a book kind of highlighting some of the historic nature of this and saying that whatever you fear, whether violence, destruction, the devil or death, we are that. We embrace it. We are the other. You have made us ugly and now we throw that ugliness in your face. It's a protest against a blocked world. It's a protest that says it doesn't feel like we could do anything to break through and make any sort of voice or have our voice heard or any sort of promise of um, if you try hard, you know, you can earn it and, and get to where we are as well. A world that has been enclosed and is no longer available to them. Kester goes on, he says, when they rise up, they tend to do so from places of poverty and need, partly because it is the poor and the needy who feel the effects of enclosure more immediately and more profoundly, and partly because it's the poor and the needy who tend to be bonded in labor to service these enclosures. Uh, wherever they are found, so when this radio station who says uh, you don 't play our music, you control the an- the airwaves, no matter how much one- money we invested into a station with towers and all the right equipment there 's no way that we could a- actually ever break through it 's you have a monopoly on this um, well, let us the entry into this market feels blocked, uh, therefore we will build boats and go offshore and work around it. Um, we will do what it takes. Uh, It's pirate radio. It's an easy way of looking at it. And they steal from a legendary, but yet common sort of thing with all of this. Uh, This has been an issue for people for a long time. And let me connect the dots for you a little bit today in case you haven't already done so. This past week, we saw messages come through very clearly that the status quo isn't good enough any longer. That The entrance into the democratic society that we've been promised, that we've invested into and have come to, expect feels and is to people of color uh, blocked. And while this isn't necessarily a series on Black Lives Matter, some of its components will definitely be difficult to miss. And uh, I know immediate pushbacks and hearing like this glorification of pirates and even you watch a movie like Pirate Radio and be like, you know, cheering for them in the end. um, There is a sense in which there's questions about, you know, Actual licensing, like they are stealing content and playing it for nobody. Uh, there's questions about, well, Brent, you do know that pirates historically, and I'm speaking of 17th century pirates and specifically, the likes of Blackbeard and others have done some pretty notoriously bad things, and that is no doubt. Uh, this is by no means a romanticizing of pirate life. Please do not go out today and get a ha- tattoo of the Jolly Roger on your shoulder. Um, I feel better about it knowing that you couldn't do that if you wanted to, at least in phase one Benton County, so I'll leave it at that. But a few years ago, um, even in spite of the the notorious nature of some of their activities, there is a a humanity sort of behind it. A few years ago in the news, some Somali pirates hijacked a ship, if you remember this, uh, in the Mediterranean waters and held prisoners hostage. Um, And it was all over the news. And there was a movie made about it. I want to say Tom Hanks was in it. But anyways, I should have done that research before this. But... um, we looked at that and we think how barbaric, how notoriously evil, how this, uh, and as the news would come out, if you're willing to kind of dig under the surface uh, a little bit, their fishing grounds had been eviscerated by foreign trollers, um, uh, for years. And all of a sudden they found themselves really, um, uh, in, in a spot where their economic options had been eliminated because, uh, Uh, of things outside of their control and they're reacting in this sort of way. And although we must not sympathize with what they did, obviously we must try to empathize with at least their motives. Piracy for them was perhaps not about greed, but a desperate act, a way of highlighting their fight for survival after watching the international community exploit and pillage the only resources they had and leave them for dead And there's a lot of emotions involved in all of that, but at least we can begin to empathize in this way. Um, And the reason I think that this is important is because with this sort of empathy as a backdrop, I want to read to you a little bit about a little further on in the book of Matthew about Jesus's interactions with both the religious community of that day and those who felt excluded from them. His, His cohort of people, his audience, his disciples, which included not just the 12, but also just people who were like, hey, he keeps feeding us and healing us. Why would we not hang around with him any longer? You know, why would we leave? Um, He's teaching them to them one day and the crowds are gathered in Matthew 23. And he says to his disciples, which again would be not just the 12, but the hundreds or whatever that were there, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees sit in Moses's seat, right? The seat of authority the religious um, patriarchal kind of system of the day. So you must be careful to do everything they tell you. Again, he didn't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. Like I'm not here to say that he, they're the worst, but do not do what they do for they do not practice what they preach. They tie up heavy, cumbersome loads and they put them on other people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. Everything they do is done for people to see. Um, we talked about this. Uh, this is uh, again a recurring theme. We already we did this in our last series talking about the doubleness or the um, the uh, the hypocrisy involved in this. That he just went into in five through seven. That's not a way to do life. Do life instead as a wholesome person. They're not doing this. They make their phylacteries wide and the tassels on their garments long. Uh, those are religious symbolic things for them. They love the place of honor. Or it's like, um, phylacter- that would be like, they show up with Bibles as, as the biggest Bibles ever. They come to church and it's got like three zippers to open it, right? This is like a massive, my Bible is way bigger than your Bible sort of thing. Um, They love the place of honor at banquets and the most important seats in the synagogues. They love to be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and to be called rabbi or teacher by other people. But you, you are not to be called rabbi for you have one teacher, y'all are brothers, and do not call anybody on this earth father for you have one father and he's in heaven, nor are you to be called instructors for you have one instructor, Messiah, the greatest among you. Must be your servant. I mean, he's he's talking about this initiation of a new way of doing things. This this um, this new kingdom on, on earth. This in, in inward breaking kingdom uh, sort of mentality. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. And then this next verse begins a series of seven different woes. Um, I mentioned in the last series Matthew was a very structured individual. Nine beatitudes, six—you know, wo- six—you've heard it said, but I tell you, um, three different way religious practices that you must get right. He's like um, clickbait for internet ads in, in that way, with all of the different numbers. Or he definitely could work for John Maxwell in that way. Here he's going to go into seven different woes. Woes would have been part of sort of um, a very common teaching style—a um, blessings and cursings. This is this will be what happens if you do this right. But woe on you if you get this wrong. Um, so he's doing these and he's doing it in a, in a different teaching block than, than early on. But this is, this is uh, conditions for uh, stepping out of the blessing uh, of, of missing out on what is actually being offered to you. We'll just talk about the first one uh, today, but woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites, you shut the door of the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. You yourselves do not enter, nor will you let those enter who are trying to. You shut the door. You block the entry. Jesus is talking to an audience. Now, are the Pharisees in this audience, are they perhaps standing behind the other people? Is he shouting to the people in the back and the people in the front are hearing it and overhearing it and being like, yeah, you tell them. Uh, I don't know, but here's what I do know, that he's speaking to a group of people Who had felt like for them, it wasn't an economic system or a democratic system or a political system that felt blocked. It was a religious system that their entire lives, they had been, if not overtly taught, at least intrinsically taught, or at least on a a bias point or um, implicit or whatever, that you're not going to be good enough. And it really doesn't matter what you do. You can't live up to the standards that we live up to. You can't do the things that we do. This is not really for you. This is for us. Now, if you'll do what we say, perhaps in God blessing us, we can pass along some of that blessing to you. But like the idea that you would be good enough to have a relationship with the father, that's like, come on, let's not get crazy. You know you, we know you. And Jesus instead is looking at them going, um, I know that entry to this system has felt blocked for you. And let me publicly uh, curse. Those who have shut the door, who have had the keys to the kingdom, as Jesus would say to Peter at one point, standing on a hill talking about the incredible responsibility of the church to bind and loose what is you know in heaven and, 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 and on earth, and what you say goes, and and be really, really careful because there is a temptation in that to close the entry of it and, and maybe you 've grown up in church or maybe you came to church late in life, or maybe Eastlake has been like the very first church that you 've ever felt like. Um, even if I don't believe, at least I feel like I, uh, uh, deserve or have a right to a seat at the table and don't make me sign anything or, or, drink Kool-Aid or anything like that. But like, um, this has felt welcoming because, uh, for the first time I felt like I could be made worthy and, and maybe you haven't felt like that. And that means we have work to do, but that's been kind of our thing. We, I read this and I think this is so Incredibly sad because this is so true um, for religious systems. And this has been so true historically uh, for the church. And I know that that's just religious systems and I I introed a bunch of other things and this is true economically and this is true demographically and all all of those things. This absolutely plays true in in those arenas as well. And we have work to do in those areas um, too. But let's not overlook the fact as well, because this is a church and I'm a pastor and this is kind of what I have control over um, or not control, but you know what I mean. I have influence in this. May we not be a church who... um, like, which audience member are we in this? Are we the ones being chastised by Jesus saying, um, woe to you who shut the door of energy, And you don't even do it yourself. Like, let's be honest. Let's call it for what it is. Or are we the people who that day perhaps have felt, um, uh, in a sense, yes, that is what we want to be. That is We, we, want, to be, we want to be people who are, uh, could be considered worthy of this. We want to be people who are trying to figure out what living our life in that sort of way might look like. And we want to be not only people who do that, but also pause long enough to turn around and offer a hand to anybody else that is willing to Uh, or or that anybody else that is wanting to, or uh, uh, even if they don't, we compel them in, right? Like that's what Jesus says in in, in other words, compels them to live our lives in such a way that it's so full of joy and it's so obvious and it's so tangible. It compels them to take a second look at this. And the entry point is wide. When the way is blocked, when you make it exceedingly difficult to get in, pirates figure out another way. Later on in the series, I probably will talk about this story, but there's one part where Jesus is teaching in a house and it's so full that entry to the house is blocked. And so friends who care about their friends so much climb on top of the roof and lower him through the roof. Again, uh, illuminating this story of, you know, you could be the person pointing it, saying they're damaging the house. What are they doing? Don't they know how much, house, how much roofs cost? <laughs> or is it look at how far they would go because they love their friends because they're motivated out of love, that when entry feels blocked, that doesn't stop them from to doing desperate things and risking greatly for the sake of others. When it's blocked, when you make it exceedingly difficult again, and again, pirates figure out another way. And luckily for us, for you and for me, that is just the beginning of our story and the beginning of our discovery at what the church could and should probably look like in terms of pirate radio to a broken and oftentimes closed off world um, and the opportunity that we get to be a part of that. So I hope you'll be able to join us for the next three parts as we continue this conversation um, today. Um, this talk, as well as the rest of our talks, will always be available on eastlaketricities.com slash talks, or uh, live on replay or whatever. A couple of quick announcements, and then I'll let you get on with the rest of your Sunday afternoon. Um, below this screen, if you're watching right now online, um, if you're watching live with us, is a connect card, um, online connect card. It's a little form. We would love for you to fill this out. It's our only way of knowing like who's watching this with us, who's a part of this kind of conversation in, in our community and we miss seeing your faces. So this is a connection point for us. There's also a spot to uh, update us on life updates as well as prayer requests or anything that you think we need to know about as a church. Um, don't do it right now because if you do it, it's gonna take you away from this site. So just when I get done and it goes to like the other screen, then take the time and make that thing happen. If you are a first time guest watching this online with uh, somebody sent you this or you just uh, found it somehow, uh, we would love for you to let us know that you're watching this as a first time guest. We have a thing where we donate money to a different organization doing good things locally uh, and globally. And for the month of June, which happy June, everybody, we are donating money to My Friend's Place, which is a local homeless teen shelter over in Kennewick uh, that provides a safe haven for teens experiencing some tough times at home and need a place to crash while things at home get figured out. So let us know that you're here so we know how much to donate at the end of the month. All right. That is my only uh, announcement, really. There's the community marketplace. We're going to be um, working on those things as they uh, come up and as our uh, uh, county begins to reopen, cross your fingers. Um, today, uh, our benediction, typically I, I close this off with sort of a, a benediction that I read to you on the screen and we go from there. Um, but Kylie wrote, my wife wrote something this week, and she's just, if you follow her on Facebook um, or uh, Instagram or whatever, she's just a really creative, fun writer. She doesn't do it as much as I would like her to do it. And and that's probably because we have four kids. Um, but she wrote something this week and I asked, um, I, I said, Oh, this is like incredibly good. Can I read it? And she's like, of course. And then after thinking about it, I was like, um, like you wrote it. Why should I read it? And like, I get all the, I get glory for it. And by the way, you come here for her. You're stuck with me sometimes, but like anybody who goes to the church knows, uh, like the true, the, the, the wizard behind the curtain is, is definitely, uh, Kylie in that way. So I'm going to invite Kylie to read it. I'm going to step off. It's going to be on the screen and uh, she will read our benediction for today.
1: I want to carve out a minute to humbly address the story we find ourselves in as a nation. I feel shaky and ill-equipped and so very uncomfortable trying to form words that even scratch the surface of all that needs to be said. But how I feel is the absolute least important part of the story right now. Discomfort especially for those of us who call ourselves followers of Jesus is a terrible excuse for not speaking truth over matters of injustice. The truth is that there is a broken system, but we can help rebuild it. The truth is that there have been humans not being offered the same graces as other humans. The truth is that racism and hate and adversity exist, And our lack of awareness does not eliminate the existence To our black and brown friends, we are linking arms with you and marching on because your lives do matter. And as we move forward, let our eyes stay wide open as the headlines fade. This is not a fad. This is not a pat on our privileged backs. This conversation doesn't end when the dust settles. It continues until every human is recognized as the image they were created in.